four people are confirmed dead in the Duffy Lake Road landslide and one is still missing. We have the latest. Plus. Canadian Forces military personnel continue to arrive and we now have 119 soldiers. Racing to repair the dike in Abbotsford ahead of another storm. And. As soon as you tell people to not do something, they're going to make it worse and they're going to start panic buying all over. Reaction to the gas rationing rules some think are a mistake. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us tonight. We begin with a tragic update to Monday's landslide near Duffy Lake Road near Lillooet. Authorities confirming today that more people perished in the disaster and they're still looking for one more person. Amadagahi begins our coverage tonight. The dreaded news arrived late Friday night with Delta police officers coming to their front door with confirmation. The body of Mirsad Hadzik, a 35-year-old father, covered in the same area where his wife also died. I mean, they, they, they left a two-year-old girl behind and uh, it's just, it just breaks my heart. But uh, my, 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 my brother was always there no matter when you needed him. In total, the RCMP say the bodies of three men reported missing in the devastating Duffy Lake Road mudslide have been recovered, bringing the death toll from this catastrophic weather event to four. I'd like to extend my condolences to the families. We are aware of a further missing person. While the search is being suspended due to current conditions, the work will continue as soon as weather permits. The slide happened Monday morning after heavy rain and rising water levels had either destroyed or completely overrun other major highways throughout the province. But work to open critical connections in and out of the Lower Mainland continues. As of Saturday, the government announced Highway 99 between Pemberton and Lillooet has reopened and that important traffic, although slow, is flowing through the Highway 7 and Highway 3 connection. All three routes are restricted to essential travel only. I can't stress enough that keeping this corridor open right now is vital to British Columbia. It's vital to help uh, where certain goods are running short to get them on the move. Right now, we have to be strong for her. She's our number one priority right now. This while, the Hatzik family, who is already dealing with the overwhelming grief of losing both the mother and father of a two-year-old girl, is planning the first of two funerals this week. Amadagahi Global News. And on Vancouver Island, the Malahat Highway reopened to traffic in both directions last night. Officials are reminding drivers, though, to expect delays for construction, especially near Tunnel Hill. Repairs to the highway will take several months. During that time, drivers can expect periods of single-lane traffic as well as temporary closures. Everyone is reminded to watch their speed and check drivebc.ca for the latest advisories. Now to the race to shore up and repair the damaged dike in Abbotsford. More military help arrived in the Fraser Valley today as the city's mayor says good progress is being made following the record-breaking flood damage. But as Julia Foy reports, the concern remains over another impending storm. After four days of rising waters over the Sumas Prairie, which has wiped out livestock and threatened livelihoods for thousands of people, a glimmer of hope. Early this morning, we received some good news. 
The floodgates at the Barrowtown pumping station were able to partially open and start releasing water out of the Sumas River. An emotional mayor was moved to tears. It, you know, it was, actually. <laughs> because that's what we've been working towards. And uh, that, that river is a problem right now. There has also been progress in repairing two breaches in the dike that contains the river. Crews continue to make progress on repairing the Sumas dike. Hundreds of dump trucks of gravel have made their way to the various breaches. And we believe that we are already greater than 50% done. Over 100 Canadian Force members are now on the ground, assisting in repairs and rescues of people and animals. Hundreds of poultry were moved off one farm on Saturday and taken to higher ground. This rescue comes too late for one farming family who lost thousands of birds in their barn when waters rose too quickly to save them. Nah. They weren't, we, we, you, there was, there was no time. For those farmers struggling to feed their animals, the Ministry of Agriculture offers hope. Water and emergency feed continue to be a high priority for the Ministry of Agriculture, food and fish. Uh, this morning we were able to airdrop four tons of feed to a hog farm in Abbotsford. But Braun says they aren't out of danger yet. Another rainstorm is expected next week and it poses a threat to a stressed system. It is our hope at this point that water levels will continue to decrease in the Sumas River so that the floodgates can remain open and potentially open fully. This is a good start and every little bit helps. Julia Foy, Global News. Now to the Nicola Valley, where efforts to evacuate those who decided to stay behind despite an order to leave continue tonight. And local First Nations chiefs say this week's floods have caused devastating damage to the region. An evacuation order remains in effect for the nearby Nawaich Indian Band, where the only access bridges to the community were washed away just before the evacuation order was issued on Monday, leaving about 130 people stranded. Chief Arnold Lampro of the nearby and also evacuated Shacken Indian Band close to Merritt says houses, highways and ranch lands have been completely wiped out and it will take a very long time to repair and return to the region. Members of the Lower Nicola Indian Band were not ordered out, but the evacuation of the city of Merritt has impacted their ability to access food and medication. Chief Stuart Jackson is urging all community members on and off reserve to get in touch with their respective bands so they can ensure everyone is accounted for. The landscape is entirely different now than what it was even prior to Monday. Um, there's roads, uh, roads washed out. There are bridges that are gone that are no, no longer there. There are homes that are no longer there. Um, this, is, um, this is devastating. The province says help is coming for the thousands of people evacuated from their homes due to flooding. There are few details on the plan, but Deputy Premier Mike Farnworth says the province is working on a support plan. Residents of Merritt had to flee due to flooding and extensive damage to the highways near the city. There's still no timeline for residents to return, and many have expressed frustration with the lack of emergency supports for people who've had to live out of hotels for almost a week. For those who have been waiting, we will be re reimbursing accommodation costs for those who are eligible. The process for that reimbursement is being worked through right now. Police in Merritt are asking for your help to identify a man last seen near high water during Monday's flooding. RCMP say 
The man was last seen walking down Chapman Street towards Merritt Secondary School shortly before 4.30 on Monday afternoon. He was wearing a black hoodie, tan jacket, when police say he walked into fast-flowing waters behind the school and was not seen again. The city of 7,000 people was ordered to evacuate earlier that day, and police want to confirm that the man is safe. And now to another flood watch in B.C., this time for parts of the north coast this weekend. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell is joining us now with more. So, Yvonne, what can residents in that region anticipate over the next day? River levels are rising. We've got the potential for localized flooding, widespread and landslides across the region. We've got an atmospheric river that is taking aim across this area with a significant amount of rain. So the following areas, Stuart, Prince Rupert, Haida Gwaii, all areas in orange, that's where the flood watch has been issued. The flood potential is especially near Stewart. So we've had snow heavy at times. And overnight tonight, the snow is going to change over to rain near Stewart. And we are going to look at that snow melt. The river, uh, the freezing level is going to rise across that area. Also, a special weather statement has been issued for Haida Gwaii, all areas that are in yellow, Prince Rupert. Coastal areas could see upwards of 150 millimeters. And then inland, it's now a rainfall warning, 16 up to 80 millimeters near Kitimat. All these areas will be a big concern with the river levels rising. We've got localized flooding possible but it's the atmospheric river that will take aim and the timeline continues all the way towards Monday. So tomorrow, a transition from snow over to rain and then on Monday, we're going to continue to see this and then tapering off. We've also got snow for many areas in the northern half of the province. If you're traveling along the Pine Pass and the potential for another atmospheric river could take place along the south coast, that coming up very shortly. Nithu? All right. Thanks so much for that, Yvonne. The B.C. government says forecasting of atmospheric rivers like the one we went through this week is about to get a lot more precise. Traditionally, these systems were called a pineapple express in the lower mainland. But this week's events show just how much risk they pose. For example, the Fraser Valley received a month's worth of rain in just 72 hours. The U.S. already uses a five-point scale to gauge atmospheric rivers. And as the climate changes, it's becoming more critical to know just how serious a rain event will be. Based on what we've seen this week in B.C., Environment Canada, whom I spoke with this morning, is speeding up development of a new ranking system for atmospheric rivers. This will help all of us be better prepared for everything from localized flooding and winds to bigger storm events. This new approach is based on a system the U.S. is already using. The provincial government is asking the federal government to lift the PCR test requirement for short trips to the U.S. in order to help alleviate the gas shortage concerns. This comes as many South Coast gas stations predictably saw lineups once the province announced gas rationing measures. Paul Johnson reports. A delivery of what may now be the most precious commodity in southwest B.C. Less than 24 hours after Victoria announced the scope of the shortage and the measures to counter it, images like this have sprung up sporadically at some gas stations awaiting replenishment. A troubling sight for a community accustomed to abundance. Yeah, obviously it's best for all of us if we try to stick with 30 liters so that there's enough for everyone. Most drivers we spoke with said they get it. In this extraordinary situation, everyone needs to do their part. But the psychology of scarcity, immediate or expected, creates its own problems. So Saturday morning, many stations were lined up well beyond normal. 
threatening our gasoline supply from the demand side. As soon as you start telling people to stop buying gas, they're going to start panic buying. If you can avoid travel, work from home, or take public transit for the next 10 days, you will help ensure that we have the fuel and access and means to keep responding as we need to. I'm not sure the government needed to come out to make that statement. Gas price watcher Dan McTeague says drivers should expect the situation to take two to three weeks to normalize. Assuming the Trans Mountain Pipeline comes back online as expected next week. It's likely that the 30 litres a day will not have the effect, I think, that uh, regulators had wanted. Given the way our fuel supply chain is built, there are just simply no quick workarounds. BC has asked the federal government to move up the dropping of the COVID testing requirement at the border so that people could drive down to the U.S. to fill up. That could help. But those big refineries down in the U.S. also get a lot of their oil from the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Paul Johnson, Global News. A tourist hotspot on B.C.'s west coast is encouraging potential visitors to be prepared in the event of food shortages. Tourism Tofino says the district's food supply chains are delayed but still moving. Any visitors are encouraged to bring what they can from home. The province is grappling with supply chain disruptions due to devastating flooding at a time when global trade is already facing record log jams tied to economic recovery from the pandemic. Meanwhile, the federal and provincial governments have established a group to try to stabilize B.C.'s supply chain. And after the break, a family desperate for a delivery, as specialized food is in short supply for a sick toddler in Salmon Arm. Plus, how flooding in the Fraser Valley has halted glass and styrofoam recycling collection. For some of us in B.C., the supply chain issues we're experiencing after the flooding are an inconvenience. But for a family in Salmon Arm, the situation is dire. As Yasmin Gandam reports, they're in desperate need of some very specialized supplies for their child that keeps him alive. Uh, quite literally a miracle baby. Meet Jackson Langdon, a three-year-old boy in Salmon Arm living with a rare genetic condition and fighting for his life. He has something called hypotonia, so he, um, he can't sit up, he can't walk, he can't crawl. Um, he also has ventricular septal defect, so he has three holes in his heart. Uh, two of them have closed over, so he has one left, so that's fantastic. Um, he has neurological delays. He has 13 sets of ribs, he's missing his gallbladder. Um, he has something called GERD, so he has reflux episodes that are pretty brutal. Um, the list kind of goes on from there. Despite being very sick, Jackson seems like a normal baby, smiling and laughing in the care of his mom, who is there 24 hours a day. But the family is facing new challenges. With the road closures caused by recent floods, Jackson's specialized food isn't getting shipped from Vancouver. We, we get all of our medical supplies through a program called the At Home Program. So I called them, tried to make my order, and they said that they're not doing any shipments because of the closures. The biggest priority is getting our formula and the feeding bags because he can't eat orally. That's, that's our only option. Um, so that is a huge priority, and I only have like a week left. Kayla says if she doesn't get Jackson's food soon, her and Jackson might have to be airlifted to Children's Hospital in Vancouver. Which means I get locked in a, hotel, in a, in a hospital room with him. 
I can't leave. COVID protocols, like I'm not able to. And then I'm there by myself with, with Jackson. I don't have any family support. That means financially everything is on me. And that's, that's huge. And I don't know how long we'd be down there for. The supply chain issues affecting so many consumers in B.C. have put this family in a desperate situation, who rely so heavily on Jackson's medical supplies. That's his formula, and it feeds right into him. While one route between the interior and the Lower Mainland has reopened to essential traffic, the Langdon family has not received any word about when their precious cargo might be shipped. Yasmin Gandam, Global News, Salmon Arm. Recycling depots in some parts of B.C. won't be accepting glass or styrofoam as of Monday. Glass is usually transported to Abbotsford for processing, but that plant is effectively underwater. In addition, the inability to truck material out of the region means the depots are warehousing a lot of what comes in for the time being. Because styrofoam takes up a lot of space, it's not being accepted either. Recycle BC is hoping residents will keep these things at home for the time being. We really do hope that people will hold on to their glass and their phone. We, we want people to hold on to it so that at one point we will be able to manage it responsibly. And we really hope that people won't include these materials in their other curbside materials. There is a health and safety risk when people put glass in with other materials. Uh, we have conveyor belts that move very, very quickly. Shards of glass can be very dangerous for the people who manage these materials. And likewise, foam is a material that can contaminate other materials and affect the recyclability of other materials. So uh, we're just asking people to hold on to them for now. And we're asking for people's patience. Recycle BC is working on a contingency plan, but right now there is no timeline in place for when services might return to normal. And still ahead, the journalists among 15 people arrested at a B.C. pipeline protest. Plus, the flag raising honoring Transgender Remembrance Day. And why B.C.'s Minister of Health says Royal Inland Hospital in Kamloops has been challenged more than any other in Canada. Two people are in custody and charges have been laid in New Westminster's fifth homicide of the year. 31-year-old Ryan Crossley is charged with second-degree murder in the death of 51-year-old Robert Pauschuk. A second suspect was also arrested but has not been charged. Early Friday morning, police say the victim entered a coffee shop on Columbia Street, bleeding heavily. Despite life-saving attempts, Pauschuk died in hospital. Police say no one else is believed to have been involved and there is no risk to the public. The provincial government helped to mark Transgender Day of Remembrance today. Parliamentary Secretary for Gender Equity Grace Lohr and Vancouver West End MLA Spencer Chandra Herbert were among those in attendance this morning as they observed a minute of silence before the transgender flag was raised on the lawn of the legislature in Victoria. The flag honours the lives lost due to anti-trans violence as well as those discriminated against and excluded just because they're transgender. The Canadian Association of Journalists is expressing outrage today over the arrest of two journalists covering an ongoing protest and blockade near Houston, B.C. The RCMP confirming the two journalists were among 15 people who were arrested on Friday for breaching a court injunction 
that bars protesters from blocking an access road used by Coastal GasLink pipeline workers. The CAJ has identified the journalist as Amber Bracken, who was hired by the Narwhal, and documentary filmmaker Michael Toldano. All I will comment on at this point is that the, uh, the RCMP uh, were enforcing a court injunction. Uh, as you know, I do not direct uh, the RCMP. I do know that uh, two journalists were detained and were subsequently released. In a release, RCMP say 11 people were arrested at structures that had been erected along a road leading to a drilling site, including two who had identified themselves as journalists following their arrest. Four others were arrested at a different location. In Health Matters Now, BC's health minister is acknowledging Royal Inland Hospital in Kamloops is in a crisis because of four COVID-19 outbreaks, along with staffing shortages and cancelled surgeries, 46 of them from November 8th to 12th alone. And as Amanda Lena Letario of CFJC News reports, the situation has city council feeling frustrated. British Columbia's Health Minister Adrian Dix is acknowledging there is a health crisis at Royal Inland Hospital. There's no hospital in BC that, uh, and I don't believe any hospital in Canada, that has faced as much um, challenge as Royal Inland over the last three months. RIH is currently battling four COVID-19 outbreaks at once. Dick says in addition to visitor restrictions and cohorting, elective surgeries are paused. We are only doing urgent, um, urgent surgeries at the moment and uh, of a variety of kinds, but urgent surgeries. So there are three operating rooms open for that. Royal Inland Hospital has 260 base acute care beds and 20 contingency beds. On Wednesday, patient population was more than 285 people, more patients than beds. At Tuesday's City Council meeting, the city voiced its concerns about Interior Health's lack of clarity on issues related to the hospital. Unfortunately, that uh, causes uh, reputational damage to Royal Inland Hospital, and uh, Royal Inland is a proud institution in this community, and I think Council is concerned about that. Minister Dix says he would like to talk to Council as well. In terms of Kamloops, let's be clear, there has been more effort and more attention in Kamloops than just about anywhere else in Interior Health, not because Kamloops is receiving special treatment, but because the challenges have been significant. With strains on the hospital, like staffing shortages and the COVID-19 outbreaks, Dix says the ministry is aware of the support needed at Royal Inland Hospital. More COVID-19 patients than any other hospital in the province, higher level of capacity than any other hospital in the province, and yet still delivering more health care than has ever been delivered out of that hospital before. And that doesn't mean that everybody's uh, happy or there haven't been problems and haven't been challenges. There are, and I acknowledge those. Amanda Lina Letario, CFJC News. And coming up next, traffic is starting to flow. The heavier-than-ever volume on BC highways now reopened to essential travel. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. The highway routes restored between the interior and the lower mainland expected to be busier than ever despite essential traffic only. We'll have more details on that in a moment, but first let's take a look at the forecast bringing in meteorologist Yvonne Schell now. Yvonne. 
Hi, Nitu, and good evening, everyone. Now, we are looking at uh, dry conditions along the south coast. I'll have more in the northern half of the province and the big concern, which we are on flood watch across the region. But first off, right now, we're sitting at 6 across uh, the airport with a northeasterly wind at 11 kilometres per hour. The atmospheric river is taking aim along the north and central coast. That'll continue for the day tomorrow and leading in towards Monday. So a heads up, continuing to see a significant amount of rain all the way in towards Monday before it does ease off. And inland areas will be seeing snow and a lot of areas along the coast with snow changing over to rain. Now, along the south coast, here's what we're anticipating, or the flood potential once again from the BC River Forecast Centre, Stewart, Prince Rupert, Haida Gwaii, all areas in orange. That's where you have the flood watch, but the big concern that we'll be watching is areas near Stewart. We've had snow heavy at times, additional snowfall amounts this evening, but that snow is changing over to rain, and that's we'll see the potential for local widespread flooding. And also landslides across the region in areas that are in yellow. That's the special weather statement, but upwards of 150 millimeters along the coast and inland for Kitimat is a rainfall warning between 16 up to 80 millimeters. So all areas along the coast, but it's inland with that transition from snow over to rain that we are seeing the flood potential and it could be widespread. So be prepared across the region. Inland though for Bulkley Valley and the lakes, it's snow 10 and up to 20 centimeters. And if you're traveling along the Pine Pass and areas near McGregor, we do have the snowfall warning between 20 and up to 30 centimeters continuing for tomorrow. Now, this atmospheric river is taking aim along the north and central coast. Timeline on the future cast that continues for tomorrow. Now, this same system is going to sink or we are going to see the potential for some rainfall along the south coast. And the big concern on the south coast on Monday will be additional rainfall amounts where we could be tracking anywhere between 20 and up to 40 millimeters. And this will exasperate the situation along the south coast. Areas near Sumas will be a big concern. It's not that we're going to see a lot of moisture, but it's on top of what we're already dealing with for the region. I wanted to touch upon, though, the highway passes. So the Pine Pass, 20 and up to 30 centimeters. Rogers, as well as the connector between 5 and 10, and the connector could still see 4 and up to 8 centimeters. So check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. Inland near Stewart, that's the area for flood potential, widespread flooding. Please be prepared across the region. Areas into the central interior could still see some snow changing over to rain. It's higher elevations that will have snow. Most areas will just see some wet flurries for the morning areas, regions rather, and along the south coast, it'll be rain and heavy at times for the northern and central regions of the island. Most areas near Metro Vancouver, we actually have cloud cover in the morning and then a clearing, some breaks for the afternoon. Now, Monday, a big concern across the south coast of Metro Vancouver, stretching into the Fraser Valley. We could see additional rainfall amounts between 20 and up to 40 centimeters. It's a heads up, but still a few days away, but then Wednesday into Thursday, this could be another atmospheric river bringing a significant amount of rain but even the rainfall on Monday will cause a big concern for areas right across the region. We'll get a bit of a break for tomorrow with some sunshine in the mix and dry conditions. Nithu? All right. The latter is the best news out of all of that. Thanks very much, Yvonne. Truckers and stranded visitors are starting to make their way back to the Lower Mainland now that a safe route has been established. Highways 3 and 7 are the only connection between the coast and the B.C. interior for now, and that means more cars on these routes than ever before. This gas station on Highway 3 in Karameas is about to see a lot more traffic. Yeah, um, we are expecting that. Uh, A lot of traffic will be coming through here. With the opening of Highway 99 and Highway 3, there are friendly routes to travel between the interior of BC and the Lower Mainland. And if you're traveling from the Okanagan to Vancouver, Karameas is the place to stop to fuel up and grab snacks for the long road ahead. Great to be going home. The route is for essential travel only, commercial vehicles and people who were stranded away from home. 
I was stuck in Lillooet. Yeah, for about, oh, five days. The Ministry of Transportation is warning drivers it's not smooth sailing. Sections of Highway 3 and 7 are single lane alternating and delays are significant. I heard that there's some hairy sections kind of between Hope and uh, the rest of the Lower Mainland, so a little bit nervous about that. I have a feeling, and the gas rationing too, like maybe by the time we get down to the Lower Mainland, we'll wish that we had stayed out here. As for the owner of this fast gas, he says he's ready for what lies ahead. Oh, we got lots of fuel. Um, I communicated with my um, distributor about what was going on, and they said, no, not a problem because their fuel comes from Kamloops, and if need be, they can pull it out of Alberta. On an average day, more than 10,500 cars would travel the Coquihalla. Because there are travel restrictions in place right now, there won't be nearly that many vehicles using Highway 3. But it is safe to say there will be way more traffic on this road in the next few months than there is most years. Kimberly Davidson, Global News. All right, Barry's here for a preview of what's coming up in sports. Barry. Mm -hmm. Well, for the first time in four years, the Whitecaps played a playoff game today. They were in Kansas City. Basically, though, for the Whitecaps, it's been playoffs for the last two months. They really haven't... (laughs) couldn't afford to lose or they wouldn't make the playoffs. He will tell you how uh, Vanny Sartini and his team did and a look back at a Canuck win last night. So uh, they finally broke the streak and some positives there. So we'll bring the positive news in sports. (laughs) We'll take it. Thanks very much, Barry. Also ahead, unvaccinated workers. They're going to be owed compensation. They're going to be owed severance. The new study that says 70% of Canadians support firing workers who aren't immunized. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC. That's energy at work. A new study reveals a majority of Canadians are in support of companies which terminate unvaccinated employees. But experts warn letting employees go without a government mandate may be costly. Charmaine Samani reports. COVID-19 vaccines have been available to Canadians since the spring, but around 85% of people over 12 have taken both doses. As we slowly return to normal, many people are concerned about being around unvaccinated workers. Your job involves dealing with the public or other people. Vaccination should be required. I don't think they should be allowed to go to work. I would feel sorry if they lost their jobs because of it. Some Canadians are more comfortable with the idea. I wouldn't say they should be let go from work. I think that's a bit extreme. Most people are inside right now masked anyways. Um, So for those that choose not to be vaccinated, it's not... um, um, really detrimental. Many Canadians agree with finding an alternative. Employees who, for whatever reason, can't be vaccinated need to be accommodated. Right? But I think that any shared workspace, uh, people should be vaccinated. An Angus Reid study finds nearly 70% of Canadians support the idea of firing onboard airline staff, school teachers, police officers, paramedics, firefighters, and medical professionals who aren't vaccinated. Canadians as a group uh, remain very pro-vaccine. Public health professor Devin Grayson says Canadians especially encourage vaccines in public-facing industries. Support for vaccine mandates among those workforces tends to be very high. Uh, It may also be high in situations where infectious disease causes great risk to workers. She says it's important to identify the type of mandate being enforced. Some mandates require vaccination or proof of vaccination or an approved exemption. 
while other types of mandates may require just information on which workers are and are not vaccinated. That helps identify which people should be excluded if and when there are active outbreaks. Employment lawyer Lior Sanferu says the party enforcing the mandate is also very important. If it's the employer's decision, damages are available, legal recourse is available. If it's the government making the decision, much, much more limited options. He says unvaccinated workers let go without a government mandate can likely claim compensation. They're going to be owed compensation. They're going to be owed severance. That could be as much as two years pay per employee. Sam Faru says employers should think twice before firing employees. Sharmin Samani, Global News. Barry's back with sports after the break and later a look at the impact of a global Christmas tree shortage on local farms. questions that need to be answered here. This was a high-risk, high-reward strategy. So we wanted to set the record straight. But at the end of the day, we talk, and where we talk is right here at CKNW. Get your body moving this November. National Kinesiology Week is November 22nd through 28th. Find activities to help you feel better, move better, and live better. Learn how you can participate at nationalkinesiologyweek.ca. Join the BC Lions in the province of BC as they launch the Team Up to End Racism campaign, a school program focused on confronting racism and embracing diversity and inclusion in BC. For info, visit bclions.com. For our BC, I'm Michael Newman. In partnership with BCAA, from help at home to on the road, that's the power of BCAA and it's moving British Columbians forward. All right, Barry's back with a full look at sports on a day that started with some high hopes for the Whitecaps. Mm-hmm, certainly. Thanks very much, Nithu. The uh, Whitecaps made an amazing run the last three months uh, to get back to the playoffs for the first time since 2017. But they had an enormous task in front of them today to beat Sporting Kansas City on the road. One of the toughest atmospheres for visiting teams in MLS. But Vancouver is playing with supreme confidence Let's see what they did. Vanny Sartini, playoff pressure? What pressure? He laughs in the face of danger. Some Whitecaps fans at the sold-out park in Kansas City. Caps did have a solid first 15 minutes, but then gets stung on the counter. Three great plays by Sporting, and it's in the back of the net. Kyrie Shelton bouncing it past Max Crapeau. Sporting is a dangerous team, second-highest scoring side in Major League Soccer, 1-0 early. Whitecaps were scrambling a bit after that, but veteran Andy Rose with a great block right here may have saved a goal. Caps do steady the ship and then catch a break. Handball right there in the box, pretty obvious, so a penalty awarded to Vancouver. Christian Dahomey steps up and drills it into the corner. Perfect penalty, ties it 1-1, and Vancouver is right back in it. But dying moments of the half, Casey corner kick, bit of a scramble in the box, and Nicholas Izamat Mirin will knock it in. That is such a tough goal to give up that late, literally the final kick of the half. So 2-1 sporting at the break, but still plenty of time, and the Caps have had a lot of comebacks this year, but this was a killer. Graham Zusi unleashes from distance. That's a cracker of a goal, no chance. 3-1, and even Vanny. Starting to look concerned. Whitecaps did get some chances to get back in it. Brian White, who's been so tremendous for them, with the header. But the goalkeeper, Tim Melia, stretches 
and he stole one off the goal line. Later, the Caps do put one in. Bruno Gashbar running onto it, spots Lucas Cavallini, who'd come on as a sub, but the flag was up for offside. And on the replay, Gashbar frustrated. You can see that he was just a step ahead of the play. So it ends for the Whitecaps, a valiant effort. But their season is over as they fall 3-1 to Sporting Kansas City. This result doesn't change the fact that uh, I think we did a great job in the second half, a fantastic job actually, and getting into playoff. And even if we lost today, even in a playoff game, we, we showed that we we are a playoff team. Hopefully, for the organization, it means that uh, it's a starting point for next year. This team showed tremendous fight, you know, and uh, it makes you really proud to be to be on a team like that, where every guy is pushing to the final whistle, and, and nobody's giving up, nobody's putting their head down, uh, and everybody's fighting for each other. You know, it, it makes this is, what, this is what sports is all about. We all felt a part of something this year, and, and we built something that uh, we're going to carry over into the next season. Yeah, for sure. Congrats to the Whitecaps. I think they do have something to build on next year. The uh, Canucks will try to build on their 3-2 win last night over the Jets. When they host the Blackhawks tomorrow at 5, the Canucks came up with a solution for that struggling penalty kill. Just don't take any penalties. They didn't, and their power play struck twice. So for once, they won the special teams game, and hopefully it gives them some momentum after that horrendous five-game losing streak. Tyler Myers. Over to Kyle Burrows, his wrist shot, scores! First career goal for Kyle Burrows, the hometown kid. Pass was in the skates of Chason, but Miller gets to the puck. Chason throws it across, here's Garland, shooting! That's it. Scores! Five seconds left, here's Kopp. Andrew Kopp feeds it down, thrown in front, what a save by Demko, off Ehlers, and the game is over. Thatcher Demko, a game saver, just before the horn. Hopefully tonight's a start of a, a string and feud together here, and, um, you know, I think we, we're all on the same page as far as, you know, what we want to accomplish, and guys aren't turning on each other and getting negative, and, um, <clears throat> you know, it's a huge sign, and, uh, it's something that we just got to keep building with. You know what it means? It's, you know, it's obviously it's a big accomplishment. Um, you know, especially for me, don't score a lot of goals in any league. So um, to get it here, it's uh, it's nice and uh, it's kind of a little bit of weight off the back. NHL tonight, New York Islanders opening up their spanking new rink, the UBS Arena. Calgary Flames the first guest. Many of the Isles' great alumni like Denny Potvin, John Tanelli, and Bob Nystrom on hand for the opening ceremonies. $1.5 billion price tag located right next to Belmont Park near the racetrack. But the Flames get the first goal. Former Canuck Brad Richardson after the turnover by Matt Martin. It's 1-0 Calgary. Coquitlam's Matt Barzell, a wizard with the puck. Amazing stick handling. Can't finish against Jacob Markstrom. But what talent. First Islander goal in the new building goes to Brock Nelson. And there was a bit of a delayed reaction. They had waved it off initially, but you can see it hit the in-net camera. So the first goal goes to Nelson. 2-1 after one. Calgary power play, though, and Andrew Mangiapane with the deflection. He's got 14 this year. 13 have come on the road, and the Flames spoil the party. 5-2, they win. The uh, Lions closed out their 2021 CFL season last night at BC Place. Rookie Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke got the start, and the kid looked good. Finds Brian Burnham for the 10-yard touchdown. Burnham 
throwing for 359 yards and a touchdown. And the kid can run the ball, too. There's one of his three touchdown runs on the game. That made it 20 to nothing. And then he will find the end zone again to make it 27 to nothing for the Lions. And then another big play for BC. Where were these when the season was on the line? Of course, the Edmonton Elks were playing their third game in eight days, so they were running on fumes. But credit the Lions. They did put in a good effort. I don't think it translates much into next year. We'll see what kind of team they have. But at least uh, they will uh, go to the offseason with a bit of positivity. 43-10 the final. They finish at 5-9. and nine. Only two wins at BC Place. Well, I'm glad we played with a lot of effort and passion and, and finished it off the correct way. Um, the whole season didn't go the way we wanted it. But um, I think there's a lot of really good pieces here and a lot of... Uh, that can can win a lot of games for the BC Lions, and we're going to work hard at uh, improving ourselves through uh, w- whatever that is. You know, it, it wasn't a perfect performance by any means. You know, there was two interceptions, and you know, you can't have that against you know um, in the CFL. There's teams are too good, right? So, got to learn from that. Um, but it's good to going into the offseason knowing that you know you can I can play. Um, I've shown it. Um, uh, you know, I can win for this team. I can help this team win. This is the final day of the CFL regular season. Riders and Ticats from Hamilton. Just a tune-up for both of these teams who will be hosting respective divisional semifinals next Sunday. Dane Evans to Brandon Banks for the touchdown. Ticats win 24-3. They will host the Alouettes in the East semifinal. The Riders will host the Stampeders in the West. Some soccer now, English Premiership, Jurgen Klopp in Liverpool visiting Arsenal. Arsenal recovering from an 0-3 start, six wins, two draws since, but back down to earth today, 39th minute. Sadio Mane will head it in off the free kick. It's 1-0 Liverpool, and they tack on three more in the second half, including this one on the attack. It'll be Mo Salah tapping it in. Liverpool win 4-0 to remain second. First place, Chelsea also won big 3-0 over Leicester City. And one more, Man United at Watford. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer on the hot seat. Four losses, uh, losses in his last six. Got hotter today. João Pedro drilling it through David De Gea from the sharp angle. 3-1 Watford. And then Emmanuel Bonaventure almost from the exact same spot. United get kicked again. 4-1 the final. United just at 500. Five wins, five losses, two draws. They are sitting seven. And third round of the RSM Classic on a breezy day at Sea Island, Georgia. Canadian Mackenzie Hughes won this tournament in 2016, his one and only PGA Tour victory in contention again. Short birdie putt here at 17. Hughes at 11 under, and uh, he is tied for fifth. Just five off the lead. The leader is Taylor Gooch, who played on the Mackenzie Tour in Canada just a few years ago. He's got the birdie at 17. He's at 16 under. Three-shot lead at the RSM Classic. Adam Hadwin is tied 55th. Roger Sloan tied 67th. And this just in, some junior football. Langley Rams with a big uh, win over the Saskatoon Hilltops, 17-14 in the national semifinal. So they'll play for the Canadian Championship later on this month. Well, congratulations to them. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for that, Barry. And we'll be right back with the advice for anybody looking to buy a Christmas tree this year amid a global shortage. Stay with us. This year might be a little different, but your help is still needed. So join us for the CKNW Kids Fund Pledge Day, because BC Kids need your support now more than ever. Thank you! 
All right, if you're still on the hunt for the perfect Christmas tree, you might want to hit the ground running this year. Christmas tree farms are facing a double whammy of global supply chain disruptions and climate change. And as Kristen Robinson reports, experts say the provincial emergency is also having an impact. Ready, you want to catch it? On opening day, no shortage of customers at this Langley Christmas tree farm. Awesome, thank you. But growers say the premium product is lacking. This inventory expected to sell by the end of the month. Normally we go into mid-December, uh, but just with the shortage and the combination of factors, we're opening up early you know, for, for demand, and then we're going to close early. Even IKEA will not be selling real trees at its Canadian stores this year. Pandemic supply chain troubles and natural disasters fueling the scarcity of Christmas trees, which take up to a decade to grow. So whatever happened in the last 10 years actually has a, a cumulative uh, effect on the supply of the Christmas trees. The heat dome and wildfires this past summer affected growing season in the Pacific Northwest. And if you're considering an artificial tree, retail experts say some orders are being cancelled. Because the retailers were afraid they might get a late shipment and then get stuck with the trees for a year. David Ian Gray also says delivery issues for fake and live trees in BC were compounded by floods and mudslides, which damaged transportation networks. They're going to get fixed, but much like a car crash on Highway 1, you clear the cars, but it takes a long time before the traffic flows back to a, a normal state. The best advice, get a fresh tree early. For those who make the cut... I get it into water and it should last straight through till probably New Year's. Merry Christmas. Kristen Robinson, Global News. What a time. Sounds like we're all covered, though. <laughs> yeah, I already put my uh, Christmas lights up. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so, but I don't turn them on yet. Okay. Yeah, yeah I we wait. get our tree up early, too. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of work, enjoy. so... <laughs> and also enjoy it. For two months. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Before we let you go, Yvonne, we should do a final check on the weather. Yeah, big concern, especially along the northern half of the province near Stewart on flood watch along the southern half. We are going to be watching on Monday and potentially later on the week. That's we could see another round of a significant rain. So a heads up, but really along the northern half of the province and coastal areas on flood watch. So stay tuned. Wow. Okay. Stay safe out there, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Jordan Armstrong will be here at 11. Have a good night.